Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and this is Right Medicine, a weekly podcast that explores best practices in creating content that connects with and educates health professionals. I'm a former nurse and an academic who spent the last 16 years as an independent medical writer and researcher, creating and evaluating education content for health professionals. If your work involves planning, designing, delivering or evaluating education for health professionals, this podcast is for you. Celebrating its 10th year as the premier online event for CME professionals, CME Palooza will be back in 2023 with its spring and fall events. So mark your calendars for Wednesday, April 12th and Wednesday, October 18th. CME Palooza. It's free, it's fun, and it's just plain fantastic. Hello, Right Medicine friends. Are you fearless in your marketing? If not, I've got good news for you. Laurie DeMilto, author of The Fearless Freelancer, is talking with me on this episode of Right Medicine. We explore effective marketing for freelance writers and others working in medical communications, the importance of cultivating a freelance mindset, and how to embody grit, resilience, and confidence in your marketing. Wherever you are on your marketing journey, Laurie will reassure you that you have the power to make your freelance future brighter by building relationships through networking. If you're in a marketing slump or you don't know where to start, Listen to the podcast, buy the book, and you will feel like and be, in actuality, a fearless freelancer. Hello and welcome. This is Right Medicine and I'm Alex Housen. I'm here today with Laurie DeMilto, freelance medical writer and founder of The Mighty Marketer. And we're here today to talk about how to market your freelance medical writing business. Welcome, Laurie. Thank you, Alex. So good to see you. So let's start by talking about who you are and about the work that you do. Well, I've been a freelance medical writer since 1997, and I'm different than most medical writers because in college I studied journalism. So everything that I know about medicine and healthcare, I just learned by writing about it. My freelance business focuses on healthcare content marketing, consumer health content, patient education, and more. My clients include hospitals and healthcare systems, healthcare marketing agencies, an integrative health organization, and a professional association. I write for healthcare professionals and consumers, but I really like writing for consumers and patients best and helping them understand complex medical information so they can live healthier lives and get the best care when they're sick or when they're hurt. A lot of my work is doing blog posts and newsletter articles. I also do web content, case studies, other reports, and other types of projects. I love what you said about everything that you've learned about healthcare and medicine comes through writing about it. And often, and that actually reminds me of William Zinsner's book, Write to Learn. It's exactly what he argues that writing is one of the kind of key ways that we really learn about the world. 
Absolutely. That book has been on my bookshelf since college. And when I actually started medical writing in 1997, I had to go to medical libraries to do my research. There was very little on the internet. It's so much easier for folks today. Yeah. In terms of access to information, uh, validating the quality of that information, maybe we'll, we'll touch on that, but that's certainly something that is a, a kind of key issue for, for medical writers. And I also think it'll be very reassuring to people who are either early in their medical writing career or thinking about making some kind of transition into medical writing that you don't necessarily have to have a science background in order to become a medical writer. So let's talk a little bit about how you ended up doing this kind of work. Well, like many people, I fell into medical writing. I had been doing communications for Temple University's business school, and I knew I wasn't going to stay there. I was exploring my next opportunities. I started freelancing part-time just to see what else was out there. And I started getting what was medical writing, even though I didn't know that was a field at the time. I got some work writing for an academic medical center and some work editing for a professional association related to drug development. Both of these opportunities came through networking, which I'll talk about more later. And when I decided to freelance full-time, I originally had two separate marketing campaigns. One was for business writing, like I had been doing at Temple, and the other was for medical writing. And there was just so much medical writing, and I enjoyed it, and I was good at it. So within about a year, I was only doing medical writing. That's a pretty amazing story. You know, you mentioned that you've, you started medical writing in 1997. That speaks to longevity in terms of sustaining a career over time. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of mindset that lies behind that longevity? Well, really the hardest part is getting started. And generally it's about the first two years to get your marketing in place, which is incredibly important for freelancers. And to figure out, you know, medical writing is a vast field. There are many, many opportunities, many types of clients, many types of work. And it takes time to figure out where you fit in that, what you like to do, what clients will hire you to do. After about two years, then you can kind of start to look at your business and see, are you doing the type of work that you want to do? Are there other types of work that you may want to do? Like, you know, what you teach folks about CME, incredibly important because people often do not know about the different types of medical writing. And, you know, to consider other types of medical writing, they need to know what they are, what the opportunities are like, what the skills required are, and all that type of thing. So really, to me, a freelance business is a lot about momentum. Once you get that momentum going, it just keeps going. You do need to, every once in a while, I actually recommend once a year, take a good hard look at your business and see, are you doing the type of work you want to do? Have you drifted into doing too much of a kind of work that you're maybe not that interested in, or you don't really like the clients you work with, or they're not paying you well, and make some strategic decisions about how to move into other types of medical writing, if that's what you choose. If you're happy with your work, then just keep going. I like that advice about uh, conducting some kind of retrospective. It's something yep. that I don't always remember to do, 
But whenever I do it, the payoff is huge because especially if you're tracking data in terms of the time that you spend on particular mm-hmm. kinds of projects, uh, red flags or otherwise about particular kinds of clients or projects. And then you can really kind of get very granular about what your year has looked like and how that kind of feeds into your business. And I also, that two year benchmark definitely resonates. I would say that in my own experience, when I started kind of systematically connecting with people and marketing my business, it would take, you know, anything from six months to two years from that first contact to actually beginning a project with a a new client. And so knowing that is actually very reassuring because then you can calibrate your sort of marketing efforts. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. A little bit later on, I'm going to talk about how important it is to follow up with potential clients because very, very often, even if they seem to be looking for a freelancer who can start right now, they don't need help right away. Other priorities come up that are more important to them. Sometimes they would like to use you, but they don't have work right now. So it's very important to keep in touch with these folks so that they think of you first when they are ready to hire a freelancer. Then let's talk about that. How do freelance medical writers begin the process of thinking about how to market their business? Well, you can go to my Mighty Marketer website and there are lots and lots of resources. I have a guide called the Freelancer's Guide to Freelance Success, which I will share the link to. And that is a step-by-step process for doing this. It's not hard. It does take time and it does take effort. But if you know what to do, which my content will show you, then it isn't hard to do. And I always tell the medical writers who are more you know, scientific and clinical, you guys are a lot smarter than me. So if I can learn to write about health and medicine, you can learn to market your business. I, well, I think you do yourself a disservice there because the flip side of that is that often when you come from a science or a clinical background, you don't necessarily, you know, it takes a while to get into the communication mindset and yes. to write in a way that really kind of resonates with your, your audience. So we all bring a different, you know, set of skills to this process. So we'll definitely make sure to put that resource in the show notes. You touched on networking, and I know that you are a huge proponent of using LinkedIn as a marketing tool. So do you want to start with LinkedIn first in terms of what you see as being effective about this particular tool? LinkedIn is incredibly important these days for freelance medical writers. Many people think that it's a waste of time. And if you use it right, it is not. Clients are searching for freelance medical writers on LinkedIn. They're also using it to check us out if they hear about us. So say somebody refers you to the client, they're not going to just call you. They're going to want to know something about you first. And the first place they're going to go is to your LinkedIn profile. Even if you have a website, they're usually going to go to LinkedIn first. If you meet a potential client through networking, again, Before they consider hiring you, they're going to want to go check you out and go to your LinkedIn profile. And colleagues also use LinkedIn before referring work. 
I hear about lots and lots of freelance opportunities that either aren't right for me or I'm too busy to take on. And I always want to refer them to other freelancers. And the first thing I do is go on LinkedIn. If I don't like what I see, if the person's profile isn't professional and well-written, then I will move on to other freelancers because it's a reflection on my reputation when I refer somebody. And clients do the same thing. I do a survey every two years about how freelancers market their services. And the last one was 2021. 68% of the freelancers who use LinkedIn said that it's important or very important in getting clients. And I started that survey in 2017, and the numbers have been going up since then. There's also a lot of other benefits of being on LinkedIn. You build your network. It's great for deepening relationships with people who you already know. You can meet new people. It's a little harder to build relationships just on LinkedIn, but you can do it. And you do meet some interesting people. I have colleagues from other parts of the world who I would never have met if it wasn't for LinkedIn. And if you follow the right people, then you will learn things that will help you run your freelance business better. You can also do research on potential clients and identify the right contact person if you have an organization that you want to work with. And very often, it's really hard to figure out who's the right person to reach out to. But with LinkedIn, you can either find the right person or somebody who's close enough that they will send it to the right person if your marketing is professional and they use freelancers. So I want to dig into that a little bit and kind of backtrack to networking as well. You mentioned your survey and 68% say that LinkedIn is important to them. What about the other 32%? What are they doing? Is that arithmetic, right? 68 plus 32, I can't add. (laughs) Uh, I actually think that is right, even though math is not my strong suit either. You know, a lot of freelancers don't know much about marketing and they just don't understand how important LinkedIn is. So they're not active on it. Mm-hmm. They don't have an optimized profile and they don't spend a little bit of time on LinkedIn. They don't have a strong, relevant network. So let's talk about the LinkedIn profile first and then kind of go back to other kinds of networking or the importance of networking and what that does for you as a freelance writer. Where should new to the field medical writers start, regardless of what kind of medical writing they're doing, but obviously also including continuing medical education and continuing education? Where should they start when they're setting up a LinkedIn profile? Well, the good news is that there are some very simple things that you can do to rank higher in search results and to impress clients when they're looking for a freelancer and colleagues who may want to refer work to you. The first is use the term freelance medical writer in your profile headline and in about, because that is what clients search for. They don't search for business owner. They don't search for sole proprietor. They search for freelance medical writer. Including freelance is really important because if you just say medical writer, then the people who say freelance medical writer in their headlines are going to rank higher than you in search results. And clients are really, really busy, so they are not going to keep digging down through the search results to find you. 
Number two, develop a complete profile. This is a LinkedIn term, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. Only 51% of LinkedIn users have a complete profile. So just by doing this, you'll outrank almost half of all members, and it's very easy. You need to include your industry and location, a profile photo, a current position under experience, and for freelancers, your current position is freelance medical writer, two past positions, your education, and at least three skills. Now, you also need to include at least 50 connections. That's not really part of a profile, but LinkedIn does consider it part of a complete profile, so you need that. You only have three seconds to impress people on LinkedIn, according to Melanie Dodaro, who is a LinkedIn expert and the owner of Top Dog Social Media. Oh, she's great. I love her. Yeah, she's wonderful. Very practical, very down to earth. Great blog. And funny. Yeah. So when your headline comes up in search results or a client looks at your profile, you need to quickly get and keep their attention. And that's actually true for all marketing because clients are busy. And if you don't appeal to them right away, they're going to move on. You do this on LinkedIn by writing what I call a client-focused profile. And that means that you're focusing on the needs of your target clients, which basically just is a fancy marketing term for a group of clients like that you want to work with, like medical communication agencies, medical education agencies, CROs and then how you meet their needs. Your headline is the most important part of your profile. You need to clearly say what you do and how you help your clients. And you need to use relevant keywords, which we already talked about, freelance, medical writer, editor, and a little bit about your services. LinkedIn has increased the length of the headline. It used to be 120 characters. Now it's 220 characters. You don't need to write a headline that long. And you really shouldn't because the headlines I've seen that are close to that long are just very dense and they lose the impact of a shorter, more concise, more relevant headline. But you can go a little bit over 120 if you need a little extra space there. The about section is your second most important part of your profile. And again, you're going to use clear, concise, client-focused messages and brief scannable content so people can learn about you quickly to show how you help clients meet their needs. Your LinkedIn profile, especially for those of you who are more clinical and scientific, it's not a resume. It's a marketing tool and it's social media. So it's got to be conversational and interesting. When people click on your profile, they're going to see about 220 to 270 characters. And if they're using a tablet or a smartphone, it's about 102 to 167 characters. So you really want to focus on the beginning of about, build on your headline, and offer a clear, concise, client-focused message. And in the resources that you'll see in the show notes, some of them will have examples, because I know it's a little hard to take this theory and do it your own. But when you look at some good examples, then it's much easier to do it for yourself. So after the beginning of about, briefly summarize your services and your relevant experience and background. Relevant means what's going to be relevant to your target clients, not to you. Continue to use the keywords that the clients are likely to use 
to search for a freelancer like you. And you want to include what's called a call to action at the end of about that tells clients what you want them to do. It can say call or email, visit my website, connect on LinkedIn, or any combination of these. To make your profile conversational and easy to scam, use bulleted lists for things like services, therapeutic areas, use short active sentences, and short paragraphs. I love what you're saying about, well, there's a couple of things that come across there. One is, you know, the way that you are describing what freelance medical writers should do in putting together their their LinkedIn profile speaks very much to getting inside the head of clients and making information accessible in a way that they know immediately what they're going to get and what action they're going to be able to take. But in order to do that, you really need to know a little bit about your client market and about what your client prospective clients' needs are. Do you find that this is something that, you know, people who are working freelance are able to do or do they need support and some kind of, you know, a particular skill set in order to be able to do that? Most freelancers have no clue about this and it's not their fault. You know, we learn to be writers or editors. We learn about medicine and healthcare, but we don't have an opportunity to learn about marketing. But looking at it from the perspective of the client and what they need is the most important thing that you can do in your marketing. They don't care if you say, I am a neuroscientist. You have to explain why being a neuroscientist helps you help them. And it's really, you do not need for your marketing a detailed understanding of your target markets. You just need enough. There are some basic client needs. What I call the overarching client need is make my life easier. Essentially, that's what they hire freelancers to do, make their lives easier. There are other needs and and what's most important can depend on the type of client. So staying on the deadline is important for just about all clients. Staying on the budget, that's going to be more important for clients like nonprofits because their budgets are smaller. Get the job done fast. That's going to be more important for clients like medical communication agencies, medical education agencies, CROs. They're willing to pay more to get it done fast. So once you figure out what your target markets are, then you can focus in a little bit more on what their specific needs are that you should focus on in your marketing. And the other really easy way to do this, just uh, Research about 10 medcoms or whatever the target market is. Go online, take a look at the websites, see what kind of language they use, see how they present themselves to their clients, take some notes, and you will start to see some common themes and some common language that you can then use in your marketing to appeal to them. That's the goal. When when a client looks at your LinkedIn profile or your website, you want them to say, Yes, this freelancer gets me and they can do what I need them to do. And for me, that shifts marketing away from a kind of transactional process into more of a relationship building process. Freelancing is so much about relationship building. You know, 
I see freelancers do things like they put a contact form on their website. And when I say don't do that, just include a simple contact page, call or email me. They don't understand. The contact form is very impersonal. It kind of implies that someone's going to get back to you eventually. And (laughs) when they want a freelancer, they they want to talk to the person right away. Sometimes they really do need the freelancer to start immediately. And the first person who gets back to them who is qualified is who they're going to hire. And they don't want to fill out a form and wait for you to get back to them. Right. It's a real kind of barrier to creating that, that relationship. Hello, Write Medicine listener. Are you ready to level up your needs assessment writing strategy? If you're a writer, perhaps you've heard that writing needs assessments is a great way to break into CME, but you've never seen an example of a needs assessment because they're often proprietary and you don't know where to start. Well, Next Level Needs Assessments has you covered. In this six-week program, you'll learn how to write lean, agile needs assessments with the help of deliberate practice, peer-to-peer discussion and expert feedback. You'll learn how to identify clinical practice gaps, craft actionable learning objectives, describe anticipated learning outcomes and behaviour changes, and draft a needs assessment based on course materials. At the end of the course, you'll have a needs assessment for your portfolio. The fall 2022 cohort of students called this programme the best medical writing course they'd taken. They loved the interactivity and feedback, They used the sample needs assessment they created to win business and said the program exceeded their expectations. You'll get access to quality course materials, weekly live online discussion with me and your peers, a course-specific needs assessment toolkit with foundational materials and templates, and written and verbal feedback from me. The program's open for enrolment with an early bird discount that expires on January the 27th. There's a link in the show notes with more information. And I just want to jump in before we kind of move on. I know that you've mentioned CROs a couple of times for people who might be a little bit new to the field. The CRO is a clinical research organization which supports the regulatory writing and helping to kind of put together clinical trial protocols and manuscripts and different parts of the clinical trial piece. So you've talked extensively about LinkedIn, and I know that's a huge part of, you know, the freelance medical writer's toolkit in terms of beginning to build a marketing presence. What's the power of networking? What do you see as the kind of value of networking on a broader scale? Networking is incredibly important for freelancers. I mentioned that how I got my start in medical writing and my early work came through networking. And I know a lot of other medical writers who got their early work through networking. It's the easiest way to build your freelance business. You want to build a strategic network made up mostly of what I call freelance friends, and I'll explain that in a few minutes, and colleagues from professional associations who aren't freelancers. There can be other people in your network people who are working in medical communications and related fields, and colleagues from school or other people you know. 
Professional associations are the best and easiest way to build your network because that's where you're going to find both potential clients and other freelancers who can help you build your business and give you referrals to clients. All freelance medical writers should join and be active in AMWA, which really helped me build my freelance business. For CME, there's the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions, and there's other professional associations too, depending on the type of work that you do. LinkedIn, as I've said, is somewhat helpful for networking. You can meet people there, but you do have to put more time and effort into building relationships on LinkedIn than you would if you meet somebody in person. For me, I really like LinkedIn for staying in touch and building relationships with people who I've met, although I have met some people who I never otherwise would have met on LinkedIn. So that's the where to network. Now let's talk about how to network and what not to do. Oh, that's great. I was going to ask, you know, how how often should people be on LinkedIn every day, every week? What should they do when they get there? Well, LinkedIn, you really don't need to spend a lot of time or effort on LinkedIn. You want to build your network and initially building it, that will take a little bit of time and you should set aside whatever amount of time you find reasonable, 30 minutes twice a week or one hour, once a week, whatever works for you is fine. But other than that, once you have your network mostly built, although you'll always be continuing to build it, you want to aim for 500 relevant connections. And they're the same type of people I talked about in your strategic network. Go on LinkedIn two to three times a day. Take a look at your feed. And that's what comes up when you open LinkedIn and comment on a few relevant posts by relevant people. If you're not connected with them, invite them to connect with you. Once you get comfortable on LinkedIn, then do your own posts once a week, once every two weeks to start. And doing posts really is not hard. If you take a look at my posts and Alex's posts, you'll get some ideas on what to do. It's as simple as finding a piece of content that's already online that you think would be useful to your network. And then you write a little summary about why you think it's useful to them. You include the link and then LinkedIn will include an image if the content has an image and they'll include the link in the image. Very, very easy. Doesn't take long at all. Respond to every comment that people make because that's a great way to help build your network with people you already know. And also some of the people who comment won't be part of your network and you can invite them to then join your network. So really, it's not complicated. It's not hard. And once you have your profile and most of your network built, it doesn't take long. I'd say 10 minutes a day, most days of the week. I'll be honest, I am pretty active on LinkedIn, but some days I'm just slammed with client work and I may miss a couple of days. You know, it's fine. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Laurie. I, I personally noticed that you know, over time, it definitely gets easier to be present on LinkedIn because it becomes, or the way I kind of think of it, it becomes much more of a kind of ongoing conversation that you're having with people and, you know, and different people join in at different times and take the conversation in a different direction. And so it becomes easier to 
kind of start your own conversation, which is what you're really doing when you create your own LinkedIn post, because you have a much clearer sense of who you're talking with. And you know, there's going to be other people who's, who are going to join the party. And that's fine. And that's good. And, uh, you know, makes it a little bit more accessible and less daunting if you're new to that whole kind of process. Yep. And people love to give their opinion and advice. (laughs) I did a post recently. I saw the report about how the use of emojis is growing. And I've always been kind of leery of them for professional communications. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a little post that, that said, you know, hey, this report says and whatever the percentage was of use of emojis for business. And, and I said, you know, I've been kind of leery about using them for business. What do you think? What do you do? And it got a tremendous number of views and comments. People love that kind of stuff. They do love that kind of stuff. I actually have a few questions before we, I, I know we're kind of coming to the end of our, our time, but about, so can I ask you about the LinkedIn algorithm? And also if you see differences you know, demographic differences in how people are using LinkedIn, because I kind of get the sense that the under 30s are much more, you know, they're bringing Facebook and Instagram mindsets with them in the way that they use LinkedIn. I wonder if that's your perception as well, or if you're seeing something different. Well, LinkedIn is different from all other social networks because it is a professional social network. Most people do behave professionally on LinkedIn and freelancers should always behave professionally. Occasionally people do not and you can just ignore them or block them if it is really bad. Yes, you're absolutely right that younger people, they're growing up with social media and they're more comfortable with it. So they're going to be more active on it. We have seen some changes recently on LinkedIn toward more visual content. So these uh, slide carousels that people are doing. Yeah, I love those. (laughs) Yeah, very interesting, very effective, very visual. But again, there's nothing wrong with just asking a question or doing a written post that links to written content. And at the LinkedIn algorithm, LinkedIn has always tried to keep that a bit of a mystery. They are not at all transparent about it. And I follow, I think, three different LinkedIn experts. So most of what I know about their algorithm comes from following these folks. Your profile is the number one in how high you rank in search results. And that's why it's so important to say freelance medical writer. I don't recall offhand the exact numbers, but having a big relevant network, 500 plus. And after 500, LinkedIn just says 500 plus on your profile. So 500 is kind of like the magic number of relevant connections. And that helps you rank higher too in search results. And then below that is your LinkedIn activity, which is what we're talking about with commenting on people's posts Mm -hmm. and writing your own posts. That's LinkedIn activity or engagement. And that's three or four in the algorithm. So if you focus on those three things and you do them well, then you will rank high when clients are searching for freelancers. And if you write a really good profile, 
then you will impress people once they actually click on your profile. Good advice. Very clear advice. What's the difference between connections and followers? Because correct me if I'm wrong here, the the followers piece seems to be relatively new. How significant is that? Is that something that freelance medical writers should be interested in or optimize in any way? Followers is fairly new and LinkedIn pushes people to get followers instead of connections. I think that connections are a little bit stronger. A follower means that somebody will see your content, but you can be connected with somebody and follow them. And that means you will see more of their content in your feed. But connections are a little stronger. You have, you have access to more data on your connections than followers. So if you see who your connections are connected with, that's much easier to do with connections than with followers. Actually, that raises a really important point, Laurie, and we didn't really kind of talk about this, is that you do all of that activity, you put your profile together, but LinkedIn actually provides data for you about your profile and who's looking at it, and and you can track that. Can you talk a little bit about how freelancers can use LinkedIn data to optimize their kind of LinkedIn strategy? Yeah, LinkedIn will give you data and they will send you notifications unless you turn it off about the number of people who are viewing your profile. And then if you just click on that link, it will take you to a page where you can see some data such as the number of views you've had. I think it's like for the past week and You can see who's viewed your profile if the person hasn't turned that off. If not, it'll just say Mm -hmm. so-and-so in the pharma industry industry, without giving you the person's name. Mm -hmm. You can see the job titles of the type of people who are searching for you. And you can see some of the keywords that they are searching for. So, So it is useful to take a look at that and optimize your profile that way. One strategy, if you see somebody who could be a potential client who has looked at your profile, but the person has not contacted you, send them a message on LinkedIn. Hey, I noticed you checked out my profile. I think XYZ company does wonderful work. If you need freelance help, I'd be glad to have a chat with you about it. And I know freelancers who have gotten work by doing this because, again, we're getting back to clients being incredibly busy. So even though they checked out your profile and maybe they would like to contact you, they got pulled in other directions. And without that reminder from you, by the time they are ready to find a freelancer, they may have heard about somebody else and forgotten about you. And for people who think that they're being, they find it hard to get over that kind of mindset of, Am I being a pest? Is it really irritating when you follow up on these kinds of things? I mean, certainly my experience, and I, I, I want to hear what you have to say about this, is that, you know, clients are on LinkedIn because that's where the marketplace is. And they, they are on LinkedIn because, you know, they want to be able to work with freelance medical writers or, or some other kind of freelance category. And so when you follow up with them, even if it's somebody who's checked out your profile and you haven't previously had a connection, 
when you follow up with them, most people are really kind of receptive to at least having some kind of preliminary exchange of yes. information. As long as you are polite and professional. Absolutely. And if they're really not interested, they just won't get back to you. You don't want to follow up with somebody too many times because after a certain point, you are becoming a pest. But in <laughs> general, clients do want to hear from you, particularly if you say you've had a conversation with somebody and it seems like they do want to hire you and either they didn't hire you right away or they said they would have freelance needs in the future. You definitely want to follow up with those folks at least a few times a year to remind them that you're still interested so that when they are ready to hire a freelancer, they will think of you first. More good advice. How else do you help uh, freelance medical writers market their business? We've talked about networking. We've talked about LinkedIn. Well, another thing that is very important that people tend not to think about at all is your mindset. And this is actually harder than doing the marketing, than building your LinkedIn profile, than building your LinkedIn network, because it's hard to change our minds. We can do it. We all have the power to do it, but it's hard. And you have to recognize what's going on before you can change it. So what I talk about, I call it the freelance success mindset. And that's what helps you learn what you need to learn because we all need to learn a lot of things to be a freelancer and run a business and do what you need to do to build a successful business. The freelance success mindset will keep you going when you're overwhelmed or when things aren't going well. And both of these things are going to happen to all freelancers. And the freelance success mindset is made up a growth mindset, grit, resilience, and confidence. If you have a growth mindset, then you believe that you can change your freelance future by learning new things, being persistent, and taking the right actions. And you're going to be willing to work hard to reach your goals. If your mindset is fixed, then you believe your future is set in stone. And you may believe that you shouldn't have to work hard to succeed as a freelancer. And unfortunately, I see that quite a lot. Setting up your freelance writing shingle, clients aren't going to fall into your lap. There's a lot involved in running a successful freelance business. It's not the field of dreams. <laughs> no, it is not. Grit and resilience will help you develop a growth mindset, and you can build these two. Grit is having the perseverance and passion to stick with your long-term goals until you reach them. It means carrying on even when you make mistakes or don't feel like you're making progress. And Angela Duckworth, she's a researcher at the University of Pennsylvania and author of the New York Times bestseller, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Her research shows that 70% of what we achieve is based on grit, only 30% on how smart you are. And that alone shows how incredibly important it is to have the freelance success mindset. Resilience helps us when bad things happen, like a recession or not getting a client you really wanted to work with. It's the ability to meet adversity heads on, adapt, bounce back, and keep trying. And most people are not born resilient. It's something we learn over time. Mm -hmm. If you consider adversity a challenge, but you deal with it, you'll become more resilient. If you consider it a threat, 
you become less resilient. So I'm going to give you three easy ways to help enhance or build a growth mindset, grit, and resilience. Number one, be positive. A negative attitude zaps your energy and people don't want to be around negative people. Believe in yourself and your ability to turn the challenges you're facing into opportunities. You do have the power to make your freelance future brighter. Number two, take action. Each action you complete is a small win. An action can be as easy and small as inviting three other medical writers to join your LinkedIn network, responding to discussions on AMWA Engage, which is their social network, or learning more about opportunities in medical writing, such as taking Alex's CME clinic or workshop. Each small win builds your confidence and motivates you to keep taking actions. And number three, create a strong supportive network. You don't have to, and you shouldn't try to build your freelance business on your own. It's so much easier when you have a network of positive people to help you. Freelance friends are an especially important part of this. When you start out as a freelancer, and usually for at least the first few years, sometimes more for some people in some situations, when something bad happens, you think that it only happened to you and that it's your fault. And most of the time, it's something that that is common. And most of the time, it's not your fault. So say that you attracted a client you really want to work with. You had a Zoom meeting. You thought it went well. And it sounded like the client was ready to hire you. Then you don't hear from them again. A few weeks later, you follow up politely and professionally with no response. About a month later, you follow up again. They don't get back to you. So now you're thinking that you probably did something wrong and you're worrying about what it was so you don't do it again. And if you're a new freelancer, maybe you don't want to do more marketing or talk to other clients because you're afraid you'll make the same mistake again. Then you call or email or have a Zoom meeting with a freelance friend who's been freelancing for a while. And she tells you that what happens is common. Often clients say they need freelance help right away, but they have other priorities. That client may yet hire you if you follow up, as we've talked about. And if they don't, there are always lots of other great clients out there. Most likely, you did not do anything wrong. But if you did, you will learn to do better. And as you talk to more potential clients, it will become easier for you. I was always very good at the the behind-the-scenes marketing of a freelance business, but it took me quite a few years to actually get comfortable having like a conversation or a meeting with a potential client. And it just comes with time and experience. Your freelance friends can help you with lots of things, including running your freelance business, handling difficult clients, which we all have to deal with, deciding whether a freelance opportunity is right for you, and setting the price for a project or evaluating the fee a client is offering. And this can be a very, very difficult part of freelancing, especially when you're fairly new. Once you have built trusting relationships, then your freelance friends are a great source of referrals. And that group of freelance friends doesn't have to be big in order to get the kind of support that you need to cultivate that growth mindset, to ensure that you can stay gritty in the work that you're doing and sustain resilience over the long term. Absolutely. And AMWA is a great way. I think Probably all of my freelance friends are people who I've met from AMWA. 
members are generally very friendly and supportive and helpful. As you are, Laurie DeMilto, Mighty Marketer, thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and insights with listeners of Right Medicine. I'm happy to do that, Alex. There's no reason for each freelancer to try to figure out how to do all this stuff on their own, because there is a tremendous amount to learn. And having some some resources and finding some experts who can help you with different parts of your freelance business and learning about different opportunities in medical writing, it's just absolutely invaluable. And it can save you so much time and energy and agony, frankly. If you're like me and see yourself as a lifelong learner who loves connection with other CME professionals, come and check out what Right Medicine offers in terms of community and courses. And I'd love to hear from you what you're interested in learning more about on the podcast. And if you like the podcast or a particular episode, consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or share with your colleagues and peers. There's a link in the show notes to help you do all of these things. See you next time.